puffed up uh, as our reading was read to us just how outrageous what Paul is saying in the passage. Paul says here that as Christians, we have access to the secret of what God is really doing in the world. No one else in all the world knows the secret. It's hidden. But Christians know it. We see it. We see what is really going on in the world. Now, isn't that supremely arrogant to say such a thing? Surely that's the height of arrogance to say with such certainty that you know and that you understand what God is doing in the world, that you know the mind of God. Well, hopefully, what we see from God's word this morning is that as Christians, we can be absolutely confident that we do know the secret truth that others do not know or see. But rather than making us arrogant, it should lead us to deep, deep humility. Well, in this first letter of Paul's to the Corinthian church, Paul has been talking quite a lot about wisdom. And today's passage is no different. And so the first thing I want us to see as we look at this passage together is to have a look at this secret wisdom of God. What is, what is it? What is this wisdom that Paul is talking about? Well, he tells us firstly that it's nothing like the wisdom of the age. He talks about this wisdom of the age in verse 6. Have a look at it with me. Yet among the mature we... Oh, hold on. Get the right right passage. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Here Paul draws a distinction between God's wisdom on the one hand and the wisdom of this age. Uh, the wisdom of this age is the wisdom of those who are powerful in this world, who dominate our culture, who determine what it is to be wise in London in 2020. It is the culture formers, the trendsetters, the Nobel Prize laureates, and so on. And it's so easy, isn't it, to be influenced, to be impressed, and even somewhat intimidated by these great minds of our day. They seem like they are in control. They are impressive, with the whole world hanging off their every word. But God says that such worldly wisdom is ultimately oh so very temporary. It does not last. In the end, like everything else, it is doomed to pass away, to come to nothing. But you know, it's even more sinister than that. It's not just that the wisdom of this age won't last, but the wisdom of this world cannot and will not grasp the wisdom of God. It cannot understand the things of God, and so inevitably it will oppose the wisdom of God, and it will reject Jesus. That's what Paul tells us there in verse 8. Have a look at it with me. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God himself, 
the Lord of all things comes into the world and the world in all its wisdom crucifies him. It rejects him. The wisdom of the world, of this age, well, it will always lead to conflict with God's wisdom. But Paul tells us that there is another wisdom, a wisdom from God. And he describes it as a secret wisdom. Verse 7, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. In other words, here is a wisdom that God decided from before time even began. Unlike the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of this world, which will pass away and come to nothing, that is temporary, God's wisdom is an eternal wisdom. This is God's eternal plan. And all of history is designed for this one purpose, for God to bring about our glory. So what exactly then is this wisdom of God? What is this mystery? Well, Paul has already made it abundantly clear back in chapter 1. If you look back to chapter 1, uh, that's the message that Paul preached in verse 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then if you look on to verse 2 of chapter 2, he reiterates this. He says, verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the mystery. That is the secret that has now been revealed for all to see. This secret wisdom is the gospel of God coming into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, living the life that we should have lived, dying the death that we deserved, and bringing the forgiveness that we so desperately need. That is the secret, that is the mystery that has until now been hidden. And then notice that Paul tells us this, that this wisdom is for the mature. Do you see that in verse 6? We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. You see, this is a message for those who have arrived, for those who have reached the goal, for those who Paul says are mature. Now, we need to be careful here. Is because Paul is not talking about those who have gone on to more so-called advanced teaching. He's not talking about those super-Christians, as opposed to the rest of us. No, that was the very problem that the Corinthians were, were facing. The mature here are those who hear the message of the gospel, the message of Christ crucified, who believe it and seek to obey it. They are the mature. You see, you may be here this morning and you may feel very weak. Not a very good Christian. A long way from being wise, certainly in the eyes of the world. But Paul says, 
that if you're believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and if you are seeking to live in obedience to Him, then you are the mature. You are the mature. I suppose the question then is, well, if this secret wisdom that even the wisest and the smartest in this world cannot attain, cannot work out for themselves, how do we get the secret wisdom of God for ourselves? How do we become mature? Well, that leads us to the second thing I want us to see in this passage, uh, which is to have a look at the role of the Holy Spirit in revealing God's secret wisdom. This is the, the great and the glorious mystery, ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit. The wisdom that has been hidden, that has now been revealed by God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals that which no human mind could ever have conceived. And in verse 9 and 10, Paul quotes from Isaiah 64, and he says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. This is the work, the task of the Holy Spirit, to reveal the secret of God's wisdom to us. Paul puts about this in verse 12. He says, oh, can't find it. There it is. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. See, often we think of, uh, when we think about the ministry or the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we think about our feelings, we think about experiences, we think about miracles, about being somehow super duper closer to God, more spiritual. What Paul is saying here is that every time you hear the gospel, every time you hear God's word and you believe it in your heart, and you seek to want to live it out in your life day by day. You are experiencing the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because it is only by God's Spirit that you and I are able to even grasp the wonder of the gospel of Christ crucified. Believe it and want to live it. That is the staggering, significant and vital ministry of God the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to explain just why it is only the Spirit who is uniquely able to reveal God to us. Have a look at verse 10 and 11. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And the point here is simple. 
The Holy Spirit knows God's thoughts intimately. So if you think about it for yourself for a moment, only you know your own thoughts. And you can deceive people with your words and with your actions. And you can seem to be what you're not, but your mind knows the truth. You can pretend to be all kinds of things, but in your head you know the truth. So it is with God's Spirit. He knows the inner working of God because He is God. And therefore He alone is able to reveal God's plans, God's purposes, God's wisdom in Christ. It's actually, there's a little aside, but at this point we see something of the wonderful, glorious picture of God the Holy Trinity. We said that in our creed a moment ago, uh, that we believe that God is one, existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see God as Trinity working together here to achieve God's purposes. God the Father from before time initiates His plan, decrees His wisdom. God the Son comes into the world in time to enact God's plan. And now God the Holy Spirit takes that message and enables people to believe it, love it, and obey it. So then we may ask, well, if it is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, to give understanding to people and to cause people to believe and obey the gospel, well, is there any point in preaching? Is there any point in evangelism? Well, I suppose you won't be surprised for me to say yes, obviously. You see, Paul, having received the Spirit, having received the gospel and believed, what does he do? Well, now he speaks the very words that the Spirit gives him to speak. Look down at verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And friends, we have those very words in the pages of the Bible. And it is as we faithfully teach the Scriptures that God the Holy Spirit is at work amongst us giving understanding and belief. But we must not be surprised that even when the Bible is preached, while there will be those who are spiritual, who have the Spirit, who will receive that word gladly and, seek, and believe it and seek to obey it, there will also be those who will not accept the gospel, who will reject Jesus and the cross and will see it as foolishness because they do not have God the Spirit. That is what Paul says in verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So just as a baby is totally dependent on its parents in every way, so we are dependent on God for spiritual life, for spiritual growth. We bring nothing except our needs, our emptiness. It is all of God. He brings us into His kingdom by His Spirit. 
and he grows us by his spirit. All our belief, all growth, all change, all progress in our Christian lives happens as we hear the word of God as it is spoken. And as the spirit takes that word and applies it to our lives and enables us to believe and obey. So amazingly, amazingly, Paul can say that those of us who are spiritual, who are Christian, who have the Holy Spirit, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. We are able to discern what is right and what is wrong. So what are the lessons for us from that? That's lots of stuff in there to think about. What are the lessons for us to take away from this passage? Well, I want to say something to those of you here this morning who may not yet be Christian. Maybe you've kind of been dragged in here by a family member. Maybe as you look at the Christian faith, it all just seems a little bit foolishness to you. It doesn't quite meet up to your intellectual understanding of the world and of how it works. Well, there's a warning here in this passage, isn't there? There's a warning to beware of the wisdom of the world, for it by itself cannot understand the things of God. It'll always seem foolishness to you. By our own efforts and our worldly wisdom, we cannot achieve understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Can I urge you to pray, to ask God to give you His Holy Spirit, to open your eyes that you may have that understanding and see Jesus and him crucified and believe in him. For those of us who are Christians this morning, well, it should also lead us to prayer. Because I'm sure that for each of us here, we've got friends and family members and work colleagues, those whom we love and care for, who we long would come to know Jesus and follow him. Well, the only way that is going to happen is if God, the Holy Spirit, opens their eyes to see the truth, to believe it, and to obey it. So pray for them. Don't stop praying. But don't stop speaking as well. Don't stop sharing the gospel. It may seem like foolishness to the world, but it is the means by which God has ordained by His Spirit to work in hearts and lives, to change minds, to bring understanding, to cause belief and trust in Jesus. I think that should give us masses of confidence in our evangelism, shouldn't it? Because it's not down to me or you to convert anyone. Our task is to be faithful, to tell the gospel, and to pray, and trust that God, by His Spirit, opens hearts and minds to receive Christ. And by the way, that should mean also that there's no one who is beyond help, or beyond receiving the gospel. Sometimes we, we think of that one person or two that we may know, and we think, they will never become Christians. Well, we can't say that, because it's not down to us down to God by His Holy Spirit who will change lives. But then lastly, this teaching should lead us to great humility 
See, the danger is for us to think very arrogantly, look at me, I'm in and you're out. Aren't I better than you? Well, no. Because if you are a Christian here this morning, then it wasn't down to your superior intellect that worked it all out. It's not that you're just that little bit sharper than everybody else. The only reason why you and I see and believe the cross as God's wisdom, the only reason why you and I love Jesus, and the only reason why we want to live for Him and obey Him, is because God in His grace and mercy has opened our eyes and our hearts to respond and to believe. And may that be true of each and every one of us this morning. When he comes back, I guess it might be appropriate just to have a moment of quiet and think about how you are going to respond to God's word. The danger is we say, okay, sermon done, let's go. Take a moment, think about what it is that God is saying to you by his spirit this morning and respond to him quietly.